crouched in the shadows, trying to find the courage in her teenage soul to leap forward and push him over the edge. It was her chance. She rose to her feet and took two quick steps. It would be over in a matter of seconds, and she would be free. "'What do you think you're doing, Raina?' Vernon Swafford's low voice stopped her in her tracks. His back was still turned toward her. "'Uh, nothing,' she stammered. He turned sideways, and Raina could see the glint of evil in his eyes. "'Come over here. Don't try to run away. If you do, it'll be only worse on you later.' Hanging her head, Raina walked slowly forward. When she was within arm's reach, he grabbed her by the back of her cotton shirt, flung her around, and held her out over the edge of the cliff. Raina looked down into the deepening shadows of the gorge and tightly closed her eyes, in anticipation of the feeling of falling through the air. Her shirt began to rip. She cried out, and at the sound her stepfather grabbed her hair with his other hand and set her back on the stony ground. Raina's knees buckled. She almost fell forward over the edge. "'Be careful,' he said with mock concern. "'You don't want to fall. It would be an awful mess for someone to clean up.' "'I didn't realize how hungry I was until I started eating,' Baxter said, oblivious to his beautiful young wife's thoughts. "'Being outdoors gives you a big appetite. Do you want any more wine or bread?' Rena shook her head. "'What's wrong with you?' Baxter responded in frustration. Rena turned away. Don't ask. Baxter reached out and grabbed her arm. Talk to me. I brought you here because you wanted to come. And then you clam up and act weird about it? Rena recoiled and jerked her arm from his grasp. Don't touch me. Baxter's eyes flashed with anger, and Rena saw reflected in her husband's gaze the same malevolent glare that had threatened her in the past. Too much alcohol always brought out the worst in her stepfather, and Baxter's countenance betrayed a companion darkness. Raina's eyes narrowed, and her jaw grew rigid. She was no longer a helpless child without the ability to escape and find security for the future. She stood to her feet. "'Let's go,' she said. Baxter stared at her for a few seconds before turning up his cup of wine and draining it. Any other words would only provoke a fight. He put the remains of their food in the empty wine bottle into his backpack. Raina retrieved their hiking sticks from the place they'd dropped them near the waterfall. "'I'm going to need that stick,' Baxter said, curtly. "'Come and get it,' Raina challenged. Baxter stood and stepped toward her. She held the stick out toward him, but didn't let go when he grabbed one end. "'I'm not interested in playing tug-of-war,' he said. "'Do you want the stick or not?' she shot back. Baxter pulled harder, but Raina kept a firm grasp on her end of the stick. She moved away from the falls and to her right until her husband's back was toward the edge of the drop-off. His silhouette framed against the panorama of the mountains behind him. "'That's enough, Raina. Baxter said, dropping his end of the stick. "'Game over. Let's go. This is not a good place.' Raina didn't answer. Channeling all of her rage and misplaced revenge into the stick, she raised it like a battering ram and lunged forward. It hit Baxter squarely in the stomach. He grunted and staggered backward until he was less than two feet from the edge of the cliff. Shock and surprise flashed across his face, his eyes filled with fear. No! he shouted. Abandoning all pretense of sanity, Raina screamed at the top of her lungs and charged again. The stick glanced off Baxter's chest, moved upward, and gouged a deep swath along the side of his neck. Raina lost her balance and crashed forward into her husband as he teetered on the edge of the cliff. 
In a last, desperate act of survival, he stretched out his right hand and scraped it down Reina's left forearm. He grasped her fingers with his hand for a split second, gave her a frantic look, and then slipped over the edge into nothingness. Reina fell to her hands and knees. Breathing heavily, she listened. No screams, no sounds, just the roar of the waterfall plummeting toward the rocks below. Dressed in a conservative blue suit with a white silk blouse, Alexia Lindale scribbled a final note on her legal pad. Known as Alex since childhood, the petite attorney with short dark hair and green eyes took a quick sip of water as she waited for Judge Garland to nod in her direction. Miss Lindale, you may conduct your cross-examination of the witness. Alex was representing Marilyn Simpson, the estranged wife of Gregory Lamar Simpson, a real estate developer who was seated in the witness chair. Alex's shoes tapped lightly on the polished wooden floor of the courtroom as she walked slowly to a spot in front of the jury box. "'Thank you, Your Honor,' she said in a high-pitched voice that was a shade girlish. She then focused her attention on her adversary. "'Mr. Simpson, how old were you when you met your wife?' Seventeen or eighteen. "'Had you graduated from high school?' "'No, we had started dating during our senior year.' And you testified on direct examination that you were married in August, a few months after high school graduation. Is that correct? Yes. Where did you spend the first four years of your married life? In Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Why were you living in North Carolina? I was a student at the University of North Carolina. Was your wife also in school? No. She worked. What type of work? Uh, she had several different jobs, mostly clerical. Alex's eyes flashed with a hint of green fire. Would it surprise you to know that I have employment records showing your wife worked a combined average of 57 hours a week at the law firm and the convenience store for more than two years? The witness shifted in the chair. That sounds like too much, but I remember we bought a new car and needed to make the payments. Alex took a step forward. Would you like to review the employment records for yourself? Uh, no, he responded quickly. If the records are accurate, the math should be simple, but she didn't work as much when we started our family. Mr. Simpson, you testify that for the past three years you've received all of your income from Simco, a real estate development company. Is that correct? Yes. What does Simco do? We identify locations for gas stations, obtain options on the land, and market the properties to major oil companies. How many parcels of land have you sold in the past three years? Eight. That's why my income has only been around $40,000 a year. I gave Marilyn copies of my business tax returns and asked her to provide them to you. Alex gave the witness a slight smile. Thank you for your cooperation, Mr. Simpson. I have carefully reviewed each one. Alex opened the folder and took out a single sheet of paper. Are you familiar with a company called Nesbitt Enterprises? Uh, sure. They are a competitor of ours. They do the same thing we do, except on a much bigger scale all over the country. They also develop shopping malls. Do you have any ownership interest in Nesbitt? No. Alex handed the sheet of paper to the court reporter, who marked it as an exhibit. She then showed it to Greg Simpson's lawyer, who put on his glasses, made a few notes, and passed it back to her. Alex moved a few steps closer to Simpson, but did not show him the sheet of paper. Are you the same G.L. Simpson who was listed as a partner with Nesbitt in an LLC developing a 200,000-square-feet shopping mall in Phoenix, Arizona? 
But that's not directly with Nesbitt. Is it part of Simcoe? Uh, no. What do Nesbitt's records show is the value of your interest in the LLC? Simpson squirmed in his seat and stared at the sheet of paper in Alex's hand before answering, I'm not sure. Without showing him the document, Alex returned to the folder and took out another document, which was marked as an exhibit. After showing it to Simpson's lawyer, she handed it directly to the witness. What does his page from the minutes of a corporate meeting of Nesbitt's directors indicate as your contribution to the Phoenix Project? Simpson looked down at the paper and didn't answer. Take your time, Mr. Simpson, Alex interjected. I want you to be sure about your answer. Simpson cleared his throat. Two parcels of land worth $450,000. Alex picked up the first sheet of paper and handed it to the witness. And what is the estimated value of your share at the beginning of this fiscal year? $925,000, but that's highly speculative. Would you be willing to transfer your interest in the LLC to your wife, as part of the property division in this case, and let her bear the risk of loss? Simpson's face grew red. Who told you? he sputtered. Byron Smith stood to his feet. Objection, Your Honor. On what grounds? the judge asked. May we approach the bench? Smith asked. Yes. Alex joined Smith in front of the judge. In an intense whisper, the older lawyer began, I didn't know about this. Because his client didn't tell him, Alex responded dryly. He probably didn't tell him how he was able to buy two pieces of real estate worth $450,000 on a $40,000 a year income. Can we take a break so I can talk to my client? Smith asked. The judge frowned. 